0: I said,
1: everything's going to be all right. I said, be all right.
0: All right, everything's going to be all right. Good day, wherever you're listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio for Friday, January 30th, 2015. We've got episode 354 this week. My name is Radio Joe Hughes. Here with me in the studio at the controls for the last time is Frank Zappa Amata. He's uh, breaking in my new guy here this week, and uh, he's going to go back to school and get back into a little different program. But anyway, calling in from the Keys Rocks is my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnik.
2: Always fun to talk Joe.
0: Good day, Cliff. And this week's guest, we've got Lanchi, Win Weeks, and Don Weeks. Um, the the dynamic couple from up in the Ottawa, Canada area, we're going to talk about keeping a step ahead and an ashray review from the conference that just occurred this week. Before we get started, let's stop for 20 seconds and thank our marquee sponsors.
3: John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop, visit them at John Don, J-O-N-D-O-N dot com.
2: Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at CleanFacts, C-L-E-A-N-F-A-X dot and C-M-M-Online dot com.
3: IAQ.net and Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions are available at IAQ.net.
2: Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products.
0: All right, last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Thanks, Joe.
2: Win a cool prize by out-competing fellow IAQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IAQ Radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is easy. You can either email it to cswatnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live, you can text in your answer. Congratulations. To Doug Conan, Aerotech Environmental Services, Dayton, Ohio, for being the first person to identify ancient Greece as the origin for the word asbestos. The IQ Radio trivia question for Friday, January 30, 2015, has been sponsored by Triska, the Tri-State Restorers and Specialty Cleaners Association, who have been serving the needs of and advocating for they're members for over 30 years. Remember, Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Check them out at their website, trsca.org. Now, for today's IAQ radio trivia question What is the scientific name for Freon 12? Back to you, Joe. Okay.
0: This week's guest, we've got a, a, a dynamic duo, Lan Chi Win Weeks. She's a co-founder and partner in in-air environmental and indoor environmental quality consulting firm in Ottawa, Canada. She's had over 26 years of engineering experience with 23 years in the indoor environment field. She's got a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering from the E.C.O.A Polytechnic of Montreal, I hope I got that one right, and a Master's in Applied Science in Building Environment from Concordia University in Montreal, Feedback, we'll And we've got her husband, Don Weeks. Don is a partner in in Environment, and they're certified industrial hygienists. He's been providing environmental and occupational health and safety assistance for more than 35 years. He is affiliated with the American Industrial Hygiene Association as a past chair of their Indoor Environmental Quality Committee and as a fellow of the association. He's also a four-time recipient of the AIHA's Best Seller Award. Both are also very active in other professional associations, such as the American – I'm sorry, the uh, ASHRAE, the American Society for Heating, Refrigeration, and Air Conditioning Engineers, where we talked just this week at their conference also both pretty active with ISIAC, the International Society of Indoor Air Quality and Climate. We've got a little intro music for our guests. Oh, I couldn't make that one out, Frank. Well, <laughs> it's licensed to chill, guys. <laughs> anyway, you—the recording on it will be very good on the phone. They don't sound so great. But anyway, let's see if we've got Lanchie and Dawn on the line. Hello, Lanchie. Good Lan afternoon, Chi. Joe. All right. Good afternoon, Joe. Always good, afternoon. good to hear a female voice. Dawn. And it's—I'm uh, here as well. Good to have you, both of you. Much appreciated having you join us this week. I want to jump right into it with Lance Chi Don, we've had you. You know what, Don, though? I didn't realize it's been quite a while since you were a a full guest on the show. I mean, you pop in and give us updates from time to time, but I was looking back in the archives. It's been about five years.
4: It has been a while. We'll have to do something about that some of these times.
0: Absolutely. Now, we did play a flashback Friday when you joined us with – J. J. David Miller, Dr. Miller, and um, we played that one not long ago, but it's been a while. Anyway, you've got uh, Lanchi here with you this week, and uh, I know a lot about her. I don't think too many of our listeners do. Lanchi, you, you, you're in Ottawa, Canada, okay, and, and In-Air Environmental provides environmental, you know, uh, environmental consulting services in that area. And I'm just wondering, you know, what – What's been like the bread and butter work for you up in that part of the world?
1: Well, Joe, you know, like any indoor environmental quality company, we do indoor air quality investigation. We look at hazardous material with Don joining the company. uh, We're looking at Legionella right now for control management plan. We do a lot of lead indoor air quality work. We do a lot of BOMA best work. We're a busy company.
0: It sounds that way. What was the last BOMA? What work?
1: Oh, just a couple of months ago.
4: Oh, okay. BOMA, uh, Boma, Best, Boma Best is a, uh, is a, a, a type of uh, green building type of, uh, of methodology that's used here in Canada. And I don't think it's being used in the States yet, but it is very popular here.
2: What's that called the- again?
4: It's called uh, BOMA Best. BOMA Best.
0: BOMA is the Building Owners and Managers Association, right? That's right. Yep. Okay. That sounds interesting. We may have to talk a little more about that. What I'd like to do real quick, Lanchi, one night we, you and I were at the end of a table with about 50 people there, and you were telling me a little bit about how you ended up in Canada. Would, would you mind? I just thought it was so fascinating. I wonder if you could let our listeners know a little bit about how you ended up where you're at.
1: Well, sure. I mean, I, I was born in Vietnam, and at the end of the Vietnam War, my father decided it was a good idea to leave the country. So, uh, we got put in a, you know, different vessels of all kinds of stars and end up being boat people. And, uh, we were picked up by the 7th Fleet of the United States. Thank you very much. And because my parents were, uh, raised under the French regime and spoke French very well, uh, they thought that going to Quebec was, was a nice idea before they realized that it's really cold in Canada. <laughs> uh nevertheless, uh, we end up in Montreal and that's where I grew up and did most of my um education in, in Montreal before I moved to Ottawa in nineteen
0: ninety one. It had to be frightening to all of a sudden be, you know, uplifted and then on a boat. Now were you on the same boat with your parents or did you get separated somehow?
1: No, we were very lucky. We uh you know, we we all left together and we arrived all together, so that was a, that was a great uh that was a great relief and and you know like anything. You you as a as a youngster, you go where your parents go and they do what they need to do to get you to where you are, so I'm very grateful.
0: And did you speak French when you were in Vietnam or did you learn French after you came across?
1: I learned French after I came across, you know, uh, like all good parents, they they taught, you know, I was sent to uh, the sister school where I was supposed to learn French. But you know how it is when you learn a second or a third language; it just sounds interesting on the surface, but you really don't know how to speak it until you are immersed in in, in an environment that that's basically just uh, just about one language. Uh, and and then you need to uh, to be able to speak and and manage within it. So, uh it was a, it was a good experience to be in Montreal for all these years. So, you know, now I'm in Ottawa, the National Capital Region and I'm able to deal in in both language uh both French and English. So, that's that's a big asset.
0: Yeah, that has to be very helpful. Did you learn English up there as well?
1: I learned English when I moved to uh Ontario, Canada in 91.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. And Dawn, do you speak any French? Uh I, Not really.
4: I, uh, I let Lanchi handle all our, our operations over in uh, Quebec. Um, we're, we're right across the border from Quebec, uh, and um, many of the folks that are just across the border do speak English as well, but they're much more comfortable in French. So there are many times when I, I rely on Lanchi and, and our, our technicians, both of which speak French, uh, to uh, handle those operations. And I just kind of nod and say, yeah, that sounds good. <laughs>
0: Sort of like when I'm working with our Spanish uh, workers over here in the States. It's a, you know, it's it's tough at times. And I would imagine that doing work in Quebec, it's got to be very helpful to, to be able to converse in either language. Um, I was actually on a Greyhound bus in, in Chicago with a guy that went up and, and he drove the bus up there from time to time, and he said, nah, no problem, they've got English signs, they've got French signs, you know, you can, you can figure it out. But anyway, um, let's talk a little bit about another subject. I noticed, Lan that in your, your bio, you've done a good bit of asbestos work as well in, in the Canadian area, and, and and last week we had a guy, Brent Kynock, on the show, he did a really nice job, and he's with the Environmental Information Association, who came from the National Asbestos Council, I'm wondering uh, if you know if you could kind of fill us in how much different is it to do asbestos work in Canada versus in the US?
1: Well, Joe, I have to leave that to uh to Don because I actually have never done work in asbestos in the US.
0: Oh, uh, okay, Don, you you've been on both sides. What's it like? What's the difference?
1: Well, the main difference really
4: is what they what they call what what is considered to be asbestos containing materials here in in Canada. Uh, as you know, in the United States, it's anything greater, it's 1% or greater uh, by laboratory analysis as to whether or not something is asbestos-containing or not. Well, here in Ontario, it's 0.5% or greater is considered to be asbestos-containing. Hmm. And, in, and in Quebec, it's 0.1% or greater is considered to be asbestos-containing. So the type of materials that you may run into here uh, that are considered asbestos containing, uh, you know, may, may be much more, uh, dramatically, uh, uh, increased simply because of the fact that you have much lower, uh, levels that are considered to be asbestos containing. Um, and the other difference here is that all regulations are provincial. Whereas, as in the United States, as you know, the, you know, the lead is, is the federal government. Uh, Specifically, OSHA. Well, here in in, uh, in uh, Ontario, the lead is the Ministry of Labour, and they set the standards for what is done in terms of asbestos uh, assessment as well as as removal. And but you have a whole different set of regulations and and practices just across the border in Quebec. So when you when you're going out to do a job, you have to remember which 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 uh, province are you in, and of course, not only do you have to worry about the language difference, but you have to worry about the differences in which they uh, which they deal with with these products. So uh, asbestos here, as was, was a big industry up until probably the 1980s, uh, particularly in Quebec, and so there's a lot of materials where they put just a little bit of asbestos in it, just enough to go above up, up the 0.1% in Quebec or 0.5% in in, in Ontario, and so you have a lot of, of materials that people don't expect to contain asbestos, which do, uh, because of those changes or the way in which the, the, the uh, governments have uh, have classified asbestos-containing
0: materials. And is it – I have two faults. One is, are all the regulated – Substances, etc. Is it all provincial, or do you have some that are uh, on the on the federal level there? And then you know the, the provincial kind of follow the federal lead.
4: Almost all regulations involving uh, hazardous materials, or as they call them in, Quebec, in the Ontario, designated substances, are regulated on the provincial level. Um, the federal level, there are regulations, but uh, they're mainly for what is known as federally um, – they're for federal facilities only. Uh, so, for example, here in, 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 in Ottawa, we have quite a few federal facilities because this is where the federal government is located. The federal regulations are, are then applied to those type, types of buildings and those, those individuals who are working in those buildings. But anything outside of the federal buildings, it is provincially uh, regulated.
0: Okay, my second follow-up was this. It seems like with that low number, you know, the point one and the point five and, and having a lot of different materials that contain, is it as expensive to do the remediation in Canada as it is in the United States when something is asbestos containing?
4: Well, it's not as expensive because there are there are three different levels of of, of removal of uh, Type 1, Type 2, Type 3. Type 3 being the most stringent and that's used only in such situations where there's a lot of friable material in, in relatively large quantities. And that's the only time you actually have to do a clearance air sampling. Uh, is when you have a type three removal type two is more for like glove bagging or for relatively small projects and type one is the minimal uh, it 's what if you have for example removing a non friable material such as a uh, window glazing or, or or drywall joint compound and you' are you 're touching it but you 're not necessarily doing a great deal of damage you do a type one so generally speaking, most of the work is done either as a type one or a type two except when you 're doing major demolition then you 're doing you 're going to do type three. The comparison between the the uh, cost uh, is usually it's less expensive here. Uh, we do an initial training of our, our asbestos workers, and and uh, there's no follow-up uh, on that. You have to get your card one time only, so you, you get you got that card for for life in effect. You, you do have to still pay a, a, an annual uh, uh, fee to the to the government, but you're not doing the constant retraining that that uh, you see a lot of in the in the states. Um, and 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 it's a relatively competitive field here. I mean, there's a lot of people who are, who have done a lot of work uh, with regards to um, to asbestos over the years, and and because that is the case, the the field tends to be very competitive, and therefore the
0: prices tend to be a little bit lower. I see. Cliff, let me let me get it over to you. I'm sorry. I, I... Uh,
2: thanks, Joe. Uh, in in the United States, we have uh, the state of California, and they seem to be the most aggressive when it comes to uh, environmental issues and health issues, and so on and so forth. Uh, is that Quebec uh, the equivalent in, in Canada, or not?
4: That one I'm going to defer to Lynchy. What do you think on that one, Lynchie?
1: I don't really know. Um, I don't really know much about the United States, the practices in the United States, so I have to pass on that, Cliff.
2: Okay, no problem. So.
0: Let me, uh, let me move on to another subject here. I want to, you know, in the intro, Le- um, you mentioned Legionella, and that's uh, that seems to be a, a big part of your practice here recently. I wonder, Le- Lachie, <laughs> if you could tell us a little bit more about some of the Legionella projects you're working on.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, so all of this has been prompted, uh, Joe, about two years ago. We have a big outbreak in Quebec, and uh, 13 or 14 people died. So what happened was the government of Quebec uh, 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 issued standards on how cooling tower has to be maintained. And uh, what happened, and that's that's prompted Public Works of Government Services Canada, or the equivalent of the U.S. um, Government Services uh, GSA, to issue a document on controlling Legionella in all water systems. So usually when Public Works and Government Services Canada issued a standards or guidelines, it's considered to be a standard, right? All federal buildings will have to have that uh, risk management um, document established. So, uh, and it just came out very late in 2013. So last year... Um, there was, you know, people went through the document, and then suddenly they realized, oh, we have to do this, and how do we do this? So our firm, um, you know, we're working with another engineering company, uh, a mechanical electrical plumbing company, and uh, and we were handling the environmental uh, side of things. We evaluate about 25 buildings. Um, for public works and government services, Canada, uh, very large office building. You know, some smaller, but typically multi-story um, building of different ages, and 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 that was uh, very interesting. Nobody had done that before. Uh, everybody was looking mostly at cooling towers. We look at all water systems. So, uh, hot domestic hot water, domestic cold water. Uh, what we saw. Uh, very much are the new systems that are being installed in high-efficiency buildings, such as uh, non-potable water uh, recovery, uh, you know, storage, and so on. So that was really interesting. As I say, you know, we established uh, pretty much the standards on how these documents should be written for the, for the government. So, um, and I think we have another thirteen to go through uh, shortly. So, you know, overall, in the last what six months, we would have done something like thirty-five, thirty-six buildings uh, for the government, looking at all the water system and all the potential for legionella in the uh, in the water system. Yeah, that's so that's, that's been, yeah.
0: Um. That's interesting because I think most people feel like you, you'll find most most of your legionary in cooling tires, but it sounds to me like you find it more so in, in like what I would call me like gray waste-type systems in, in newer yeah. energy-efficient buildings.
1: Yeah. Well, you have to consider what it is. I have a discussion where people say to me, well, you know, it's rainwater. Fine, you know, but rainwater might contain some – some nutrient in there. Uh, typically, the water is agitated in the tank, but it's not necessarily treated uh, the way pool, pool water or, you know, uh, fountain water will be treated, simply because they want to use that water for landscaping. So you don't certainly want to start, you know, spraying your plants and, and your all your trees and flowers, groves, and everything else with chlorinated. Too, too chlorinated, too much uh, chlorinated uh, water. So that's the dilemma in a way of of how do you keep these things clean and who's cleaning out the sludge and, you know, is there anything growing in there and, and so on and so on. So it's just, um, it's not necessarily a big risk depending on how the system is being maintained, but you do have to keep that in mind. That is not just a cooling tower uh, and it, it could be, a shower, you know, it could be a small shower in the um, building maintenance uh, uh, office, basically. So there's there's all kinds of things that needs to be looked at in the building.
2: I think
0: the VA in Pittsburgh actually determined they had some issues with uh, ice makers even. You know, you wouldn't think of it that being an area where there's warm water, but there is warm areas in, in, within the ice maker. So
1: Absolutely, yeah. But, ice maker, but, um, soil. Potting soil in Australia, um, and so on. So, yeah.
0: interesting, Cliff. Let me uh, let me turn it back to you.
2: Uh, thanks, Joe uh, Lynch, In the United States, there there was a survey done recently that 50% of the uh, hospitals in the United States have a Legionella issue. I'm wondering whether it's the same thing in, in Canadian hospitals
1: well the the hospital here, I think, like any hospital, or what we call refer to as wet system, right They have all kinds of things, and i my my suspicion is they probably are within the same percentage uh than than the the hospital in the United States. Um, it's been surprising to me that in some hospital, uh you'll think they'd be cleaner than a typical office building, but they're not, and I don't know why, but that's mm-hmm. just the way it is. You know, it, it's not as well-maintained as as you think that they should be.
0: And they have so many different things going on, too. It's got to be really a challenge to manage a hospital, I would think.
1: Oh, yes. And because it's on 24-7, right? I mean,
0: yeah, each, yeah. Uh, yeah. You can't just bring the cleaning crew in at night necessarily. You know uh, that's interesting. Hey, I really like to get to another topic that I know you've you've done a good bit of work on before we get to halftime, and that's lead type work. Yes. Uh, I know you you know you've been you're a lead AP and you do quite a bit of lead work there, and I'm wondering if that's primarily trying to help people get that IAQ credit, or if there's some other type of lead work that our listeners should know about that maybe they should be looking at doing.
1: Well, I, um, I mostly help my clients get to the IEQ uh, points, but we have gone up what I call the construction process. So, you know, it used to be that they do whatever they do, the general contractor, uh, the builder do whatever they do, and then we get called in the day before occupancy and say, can you come and test the air quality and say it's good? Mm-hmm. Well, we have hopefully taught enough about um, general contractor to not call me the day before because they're not going to get me on the phone, uh, but to involve us in the construction process. We work with them fairly early on, uh, in some cases at the design stage, at the charrette stage, to understand where the potential for problems could be for indoor air quality. And then at the end, you know, we do indoor air quality testing, but that's really like the cherry on the Sunday really um it's just to to have something uh, on paper to show that uh, they've done a good job but we have documented the process throughout uh, the whole construction phase and and we can show that um, things has been well done so so you know that's that's our approach to lead
0: so you're you're doing what was recommended in it was an ASHRAE document I can't remember dawn maybe you could help me out there was an ASHRAE document that came out that I know you just made available for free i a q a members and that's basically what they recommended to
1: yeah. to get
0: involved from the very beginning
1: absolutely that's the indoor air quality guidelines I think it's best practice for construction design and maintenance i believe
0: you got it that's great all right all right good good that's that's an interesting one and and i have a follow up on that that i a q credit um maybe you could quickly just kind of tell our listeners what what the parameters are that have to be met and then if there's any changes that have recently occurred or that are proposed.
1: So uh, to be honest, I mean these are the same parameters. We will talk about formaldehyde. We will talk about total volatile organic compounds, carbon monoxide, and PM10, which is particulate matter 10 microns or larger. Uh, the concentration allowed for each type of buildings will vary depending on the type of building, depending on which system you register your project, etc. So I'm not going to go into the details of the numbers because it depends on what's going. Going on. In lead version 4, um, there's quite a few changes uh, mostly add-on to that these four very basic uh, contaminants in the air. Um, you know, there's a whole list of, of volatile organic compounds, and Don can tell you a little bit more about that. But there's also concern about uh, ozone and a PM 2.5, that is particulate matter 2.5. Um, and and why the AD PM two point five is concerned about respiratory disease uh, that's been well documented. So so these are the big changes. Uh, but as I say, the biggest change was the the add uh, the addition of a very long list of, of volatile organic compounds that uh, need to be measured uh, versus the older version, basically.
0: I see Dawn. Anything you want to add to that? Well,
4: um, there, as Linchey mentioned, there are thirty-five uh, different uh, VOCs that are listed on the on the on the Lead Four. Um, they are taken from a, a list that was developed. A follow up on Cliff's question earlier uh, from a California list called the CREL list, uh, which basically deals with, with uh, what you do in in uh, California with regards to products. Uh, in which they do a uh, some testing in a, a a chamber to determine uh what what is the off-gassing coming from these uh, products. Um, this was a, adapted or adopted by, uh, by USGBC as a measure of indoor air quality. It's not quite the way it was intended to be used. However, uh that is what right now they have as as their as, as the the table that they're using in in lead 4. Um I've just recently done a a uh, work with AIHA, uh, an evaluation of that. At the request of of USGBC, uh, we had a meeting with them and they they asked us to look over that list. We could not find another list of compounds that was as comprehensive and as well vouched for as that particular list. But we differed with USGBC in in one one aspect and that is that they were using one half of what the CREL was in in California. And we saw no real scientific or technical reason why you should do that. so we're, at, we're recommending back. When we just issued the report last week, we're recommending back that the USGBC considered not using one half of the, of the, of the uh, California standard to crowds, but use it as a full uh, number uh, as it was uh, originally proposed in the uh, by California. I'm hoping that I'll have some. I'm meeting with uh, with the uh, the uh, the. Indoor environmental quality uh, technical advisory group of uh, USGBC uh, in February to discuss that with them, and I'm hoping that they'll accept that recommendation. One of the things that's interesting about uh, lead and uh, in, and in USGBC is that uh, they are they keep their documents evergreen. So if there's a there's a change that is proposed by somebody or by one of their tags, one of their technical advisory groups, they will change their uh, their um, Document to reflect the uh, the latest information. So, I'm hoping that uh, in the next uh, iteration of the uh, the document, we'll we'll see some changes, uh, at least to go to that from that one half to a full crowd uh, and and maybe some other changes as well that uh, will reflect the the discussions that are ongoing.
0: All right, well, let's uh, we're gonna break real quick and thank our sponsors for our halftime. And we'll be back with the second half with, with Lanchi, Win Weeks, and Don Weeks. Very interesting stuff, and uh, we'll, we'll get to the IAQA and Ashray stuff, too, as a part of the second half. I do want to uh, give you guys a little heads up, though. I want to I talk a little bit before we do that about some of the you know more unusual projects you're dealing with. So we'll be back in about 90 seconds. Hang in there with us. We'll be back very shortly.
3: Thanks to our association sponsors,
2: the Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit, multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit their website at iaqa.org.
3: And thanks to our advertisers,
2: Graywolf Sensing Solutions who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com.
3: Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Visit them at legends-enviro.com.
2: Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. And of course, our marquee sponsors.
3: John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at J O N D O N, that's johndon.com.
2: Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanfax.com and cmmonline.com.
3: IAQ.net and Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions are available at iaq.net.
2: Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you acquire about their services or products.
0: All right. We're back with the second half of our show. We've got Lanchi, Win Weeks, and Dawn Weeks. Listen, I, I really'd like to um, get a little more on your business there because I think, you know, we we made this show title um, Staying a Step Ahead, and I think you guys have done a great job of doing that and, and in talking to both of you I think it's been um it's paid off for your company. And so I'm wondering if you could talk to listeners about, you know, what you see as emerging IAQ ishners that, that we should be aware of and following and, and hopefully eventually making some money on.
1: Well, there's there's a lot of stuff going on out there, Joe. I mean uh certainly uh infectious disease and isolation rooms um have been of, of interest because I think that we see that uh, becoming more and more of a concern as people air travel easily and things seems to be uh, moving along uh, more than, than it used to be. Certainly, um, uh, there's a lot of concerns about energy savings and the impact of energy savings measured on indoor air quality. Um, I heard that some uh, states have completely gut Uh, ASHRAE uh, standards 189 for high uh, performance building and, uh, just took the, um, energy savings, uh, part and put that in their, their building code or whatever code they're doing and, uh, took out the, the indoor air quality part altogether. Mm -hmm. You know, and so, so that's a really big concern. And I think for petitioner and indoor air quality, I think that's in, in the way it's a, it's it's a good thing. It gives us work, right? And we're yeah. going to have to look at all these buildings and, and so on. Um, and, and, you know, I think there's uh, also the, a lot of talk about uh, not just infectious disease, but Legionella and, and outdoor contaminants uh, such as ozone and the rise in particulate matters, especially with all the droughts that we have been experiencing uh, in the U.S. and, and in Canada. So, uh, I mean, these are, you know, Right up the top of my head, but um there's there's a lot of talk about that right now, and there's a lot of interest right now in so what to be done to mitigate
0: well, that's another key point you know how do we how do we how do we take care of these situations like you were talking about the infectious disease and then mm-hmm. isolation rooms. It seems like you know when there's a ebola breakout, all of a sudden we're getting calls about, okay, we need to develop our program, but as soon as you know, it kind of went away and then it seemed like it was forgotten about again. Although I did hear some talk of it at the conference. Don, are there any um that you'd like to add?
4: Well one that I know that uh actually when she's is is uh, working on right now is is nanotechnology. Uh we're seeing a lot more uh interest in, in that issue. Uh, because there are a lot more products that are being made uh, out of, with nanotechnology. And and, and since, the, you know, from looking at just strictly from the manufacturing side is, is one thing, but we're also seeing, you know, a lot of inquiries from people as to whether or not the products, uh, if they're being remade or reused in some way, how to, how what might be some of the potential health issues with that. So nanotechnology is certainly out there, and it's going to be something that's going to be a growing concern as time goes on. The other big things that, uh, you know, it it really is is related to um, big data. Uh, Basically, we're seeing a lot of uh, people who are interested in in, in doing sensor type technology. And then, what do you do with all the data that you're collecting in a building? A lot of the new smart buildings that we're seeing have sensors in practically every room. They're taking temperature, humidity, carbon dioxide, uh, carbon monoxide, uh, particulates in some cases, VOCs in some cases. And there's a lot of data being collected, but what does it really mean, and what does it really, how does it really affect people's environment? So you have to have a, a skill base in in being able to look at that database and and being able to really see the trends and figure out exactly what does it mean and and whether or not there's a problem or not. So I think big data is going to be part of what we're all going to be doing uh, very very soon, uh, and and it means that our computer skills are going to have to be. Substantially upgraded in order to be able to go through all the data that's being generated by these sensors.
0: Well, you know that'll help my these young guys sitting by me over here. You know they're better at that than me. <laughs> but, um, I'm just curious. You know you mentioned healthcare a few times, and you know we're in the states here. We seem to be headed more towards a, you know, Canadian type um, setup with respect to healthcare. Not not quite identical, but are there any? like environmental health assessments that are paid for by the, you know, by, by the health care providers. You know, I've I've heard word in the States that some will provide, like, a little assistance if you've got a kid with asthma and you want to go into their home and educate them about asthma triggers and maybe even do some investigation to determine if there are asthma triggers. Are you seeing anything like that on the other side of the border there? Uh, I have well,
2: not.
4: No, we're not seeing that, but keeping in mind that, of course, all, all medical um, unlike the states, all medical um, um, care Medicare is, is handled specifically by the provinces um, so we we don't have what would be called health care providers in the sense of of, uh, of insurance companies we have insurance I mean quite frankly they we have insurance ourselves for certain types of things that are not paid for by the by the state uh, medical plans but or, the, or I should say the provincial medical plans uh, but in general that we, we have not seen the, the pr- uh, provinces taking what I would consider a proactive way of evaluating um, uh, you know health risks in in homes or in um, in, in other settings uh, certainly that would be something that would be, might come down the road but right now that's that's not been the case we haven't seen it hmm. Interesting.
1: you know what they do is is mostly Joe they send they send they send it back, right? They send it back to uh, to the owner. So, uh, you know, what I've seen more or less is like, well, we we think that you might have somebody with asthma, or there may be a triggers. There may be triggers in your home. Now you go and and have an uh, an, uh, an assessment done. Uh, but it's not necessarily uh, something that's handled by the healthcare system.
0: I see. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. We do have a little different set up here you, you don't necessarily have well i guess you do have the government insurance program and then it sounded like to me Don, you have a separate additional insurance
4: well yeah i mean a government uh insurance plan is it's very comprehensive and it covers almost uh all the um, uh well it covers all the hospital bills and it covers all the medical uh do, you know doctors and things of that nature it's paid for by the government but they don't pay, for example, for pharmaceuticals. Um, it's just not something that they do. Um, and they buy uh, in vast quantities, usually from the U.S. pharmaceutical companies, so that the price is relatively low. But if you want to have insurance for, for, um, for medical um, coverage for pharmaceuticals, you, you buy a separate policy for that. And there are some other things like that. Uh, dental is uh, pretty much uh, something you have to buy yourself. Uh, so there are some differences, but in a, in a, in a, in a basic sense, most of the what people would consider to be medical expenses—the hospitals, the doctors, uh, the major, um, you know, um, you know, X-rays and things of that nature—are generally covered by the by the governmental um, insurance plan, which is not the case, of course, obviously, in the
0: states. I see. All right. And Cliff, do you want to jump in here? I have another one. If you're not quite ready, I know you're writing, <laughs> writing yeah, sure. quickly. All right. There was an and I know this one that you'll be interested in too. I noticed Lanchi in your uh, in one of the documents you sent me, you, you get some odor type investigations and, and I'm wondering if you have some tips on investigating odors for our listeners.
1: Well, odor investigation are the worst. <laughs> They're very, very difficult because odor is very subjective, right? I mean I can have two people sitting in the same space and two of them would describe the order to me differently. So my my tip to people is first of all, don't go in there with any preconceived ideas. Because uh, I had cases where people say, you know, it smells like sewer. And finally, when we found what the cause is, it has nothing to do with sewer. It's just whatever is in what I call your, your odor memory bank, basically. And, and it makes you think of things, but it's not. So when we do odor investigation, we go through a very rigorous process. We try to make sure we eliminate um, sources. And, and we we listen to what people have to say, you know, in terms of, timeline, in terms of season, in terms of when it happens and so on. But we try to make sure that we don't um, take what they say all for granted because um, we have to, to figure out what's going on. And sometimes it doesn't quite correlate. So um, that's that's the only tip I have to give you. You just have to get on your knee sometime and smell stuff and see if it's, it smells, you know.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. That's a big part of it. Um, now, One more quick one, and then I think we we better get over to the ashray stuff, but I'm wondering, is is mold still a hot topic in Canada, or has it ever been as hot a topic as what you see here in the States? And I don't know whether it's a better question for Lanchi or Don.
1: Well, um, you know, let me. Uh, maybe I can start and say, you know, mold is still a topic, but it's not a, a, a red hot topic anymore. And the reason why I think is just people have learned to what to do. I mean, don't don't leave wet material. You know, make sure that uh, things are kept dry and 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 so on. So we still have requests for mold assessment and and. You know, uh but but it's not what it used to be. It's not it it's not uh, the huge project with mold contamination all over and so on. Um you know, and, and the climate here somewhat is, is helpful. Uh when it's really cold and dry for six months of the year, um things don't grow as fast. Okay.
4: She literally means six months of the year, just in case you're wondering. It is six months of the year. It's called a dry year. Um, but I would say, comparing it to the United States, one of the big differences is is, is was what what was one of the reasons why mold was such a big deal was, was lit, litigation. The, the 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 whole idea of, of involving uh, lawsuits and, and 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 I think that really did trigger it in the early 2000s. Here in Canada, it never got to that stage. I mean, there were certainly probably lawsuits, but it was never to the point of, of, of hundreds or thousands of lawsuits like there was in the States, and that made a huge difference in the way in which it was approached.
0: Okay. And now uh, let's, let's get over to the conference this week. I wonder, um, from both of your perspectives, what, what was the, I guess, the most memorable thing or maybe the new thing that, that you'd like to make sure our listeners are aware of we spent what, three days? You were there probably four or five days um, at the biggest Ashray conference ever, as I understand it. Um, what what kind of, uh, you know, what made an impression on you two?
1: You want to start, want you,
0: though? Oh, okay. I was going to say, what
4: you start but, um, Well, I, I happen to serve as the uh, media past president of IQA. So for me, the moment, uh, which really was said. By uh, Ashray President Tom Phoenix to be a historic moment it was when the uh, Ashray Board of Directors voted unanimously to uh, to uh, consolidate with the with the uh, IEQA. Um, why it was so historic this was on Monday uh, it was historic because ASHRAE just doesn't do these things, okay The last time they merged with anybody was 1959 when they merged with the refrigeration uh group uh, of engineers and became ASHRAE before that they were the air uh american society of heating and ventilation uh engineers so and they added re- refrigeration which is the R in ASHRAE um 1959 so i mean basically they have not done anything like this since then and you know it, it's it's a big it's a big deal and and uh, both uh, uh tom phoenix the ashrae president and Ken Rawhauser, when we voted on it on Tuesday, as the IQA board of directors, both said the same thing. It's it's a it's a really a momentous occasion for me. That was the biggest thing. So,
0: Lanchie, and and Lanchie, what about from your perspective?
1: Well, you know, uh, I'm always so busy with technical committees and meetings and meeting people and discussing things. I mean, what always struck me at Ashram meetings is the 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 goodwill, if you want, there's so many people giving their time, and and we're not talking about you know whoever here. We're talking really, really intelligent and educated and accomplished people who basically just give you know hundreds of hours uh, just to to push the profession forward. So that's that's a very humbling experience.
0: You know, I've got a text here. I want to I want to ask Dawn about what what's the status now with the i e s o now that you know i a q a comes under the ASHRAE or whether those two groups are consolidated uh
4: the IESO um is um as as i think most of you listeners know but I'll, I'll just describe briefly it was the um group of 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 um uh, professionals who were working on a number of different types of standards for the indoor environment Uh, Society or or committees, and for our our, uh, entire uh, field of study, Um, they they have been uh, working on a number of of these for uh, for I'd say probably many years in many cases, uh, in some cases seven or eight years. Um, The they are uh, or were became a a wholly owned subsidiary of uh, of IEQA back in two thousand and ten. Uh, which uh, meant that the IEQA uh, members were fully supporting all the activities of IESO for the last five years. Um, unfortunately, they haven't um, really been as successful as we would have liked them to have been. Uh, there's only been one standard that has come out from uh, IESO over that period of time. When we got into discussion with Ashray, it was actually started on the basis of uh, back in uh, January of 2014, about the idea that ASHRAE, which is a, uh, a, a organization that sets uh, hundreds of standards and has a very good uh, method of, of handling all standard uh, reviews and things of that nature, that ASHRAE would be a partner with uh, with ISO to uh, to take the standards to the next level. Uh, they've already done that with one, uh, and that is the uh, uh, recent uh, public review for the education uh uh, facilities and and mold infestation uh, that's gone through public review in November and January, and um, and will most likely they got a fair number of comments during the public review, so they're most likely going to go to a second public review. As for the other standards that are are continuing to be worked on, uh, there is a transition team that is working on getting the uh, the, uh, the groups that are working on ISO standards to to work with other groups that are working uh, in ASHRAE, so that the the standards that will be coming out will most likely be uh, uh, ASHRAE standards. Uh, all the individuals that have worked on these uh, uh, standards will find a place within ASHRAE's uh, various groups. And um, I think that uh, within a, a relatively short period of time, uh, ISO will have made the transition to uh, to the ASHRAE uh, uh, methodology, and uh, we'll see uh, these standards that have been worked on for a number of years actually come out and be published, which is which is what the, what is the goal for all the folks that are being involved in this in this field. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing that happen.
0: Well, we're we're going to bring the the uh, global watchdog on here for for a roundup. Before we do, I know he's going to have a question or concern about how this would affect groups that have partnered with ISO, say, for instance, the Restoration Industry Association. Can you comment on that, or we just maybe don't know enough yet to say?
4: Well, I know that, uh, that uh, the staff, uh, ASHRAE staff, uh, uh, Claire Ramstack – Ramspec is the, in charge of that uh, standards group uh, – has been in touch with the leaders of our RA about that particular standard, uh, which, uh, which uh, came out, I think, two or three years ago. And so we're in a position with ASHRAE and its support to to support that particular standard even more so than we have in the past. So I anticipate that the relationships that we have which brings up the question, you know, also of all MOUs, the memorandums of understandings with other groups. Right. Uh, because IAQA is going to be an independent uh, subsidiary of Ashray, we will continue with all the groups that we've been working with in terms of MOUs in the past, including RAA, including AIHA, including uh, a number of other firms, and NACA, and, and and so forth. So I don't anticipate there will be any change in that other than the fact that we'll now have Ashray's strong financial support and standard-setting support uh, going forward, which uh, I think will Will enhance uh, our ability to get more standards out, and obviously get more publicity for those standards, so that they'll be published uh, and 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 bought by people. Which is obviously the, the the ultimate goal is to get people to actually use these standards. So I'm looking forward to having that uh, move move forward in that way.
0: Well, hopefully it sounds like it could be a win-win-win if everything works out the way you'd like, Don. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go to the roundup, uh, Frank is the the roundup cue us up we'll bring in the global watchdog and we'll all go around and ask one more question
4: move him on hit him up hit him up move him on move him on hit him up draw high
3: <laughs> cut him out ride him in ride him in let him out cut him out cry.
0: Joining us today again for the roundup, and I, uh, we got so tied up this morning I didn't get his watchdog music. But the global restoration industry watchdog, Pete Consigli. Good day, Pete. How are you?
5: Hey, hi, guys. Cliff, uh, Joe, Don enjoy I enjoyed the chat. You know, but, uh, actually, listening to that Rawhide uh, Roundup music. There is actually a little doggy reference in there because the cowboys used to call those cows keep them doggies rolling. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well listen, I hey Don, thanks for um I don't think I have any more follow up to ask you on uh, I think you answered it pretty well the question that Joe asked regarding the you know, the kind of the evolving dynamics between the partnerships with ISO and the standards and now that ashtray you know uh is obviously a huge standards organization and everything so i think you know if we just uh keep uh, uh collaborating keep talking keep moving moving things forward you know for the for the betterment of the industry and all the you know different uh segments that are served by the different groups i mean i think that's really a good thing uh you know i noticed um i think when had mentioned she mentioned the word demolition and um you know, in the context of asbestos and abatement and all those kinds of things. And, uh, something interesting would be interesting, maybe to the audience, uh, I'd like to give a little bit of shout out for one of the college associations that the REAs were working with very closely through the, well, on two fronts. Firstly, for quite a long time now, we have a connection with the National Demolition Association, the NDA, and, and those guys, um, uh, they, uh, they got their program at the Purdue University on demolition probably a couple years before the restoration industry launched, launched theirs. So the two professors there working together, uh, Randy Rath and Mark Charette, um, uh, actually have developed a uh, – the program started to move along. There's an interest to in combine disciplines, disciplines between demolition and restoration. So you have the, – uh, they have a minor coming out this year, and next year they're supposed to roll out a major to uh, kind of combine those disciplines, but one of the other connections is the NDA was self-managed for several years. Their long term executive director retired. They went through a search. They decided to go down uh, essentially similar road that RAA and IQA has done. They wanted to partner up with a larger organization that can help them grow. So they actually went with Smith Buckley, the same management company RAA has. And uh, so there's a lot of collaboration happening. You know, the two executive directors. Uh, know each other they're down the hall in D.C., the, the two editors for the, each of the magazines with CNR and their demolition magazine work out of Chicago. They sit at the desk next to each other. So there's all kind of good stuff I see. You know, the horizon is bright, and there's a lot of good things going on. Now, it's funny when uh, when you asked me a little bit early, I, I went. I had jotted down the IAQA convention this year, which is um, the, the week of the 15th to 16th of March, and it's in, um, it's in Dallas. And I also noticed that week, the NDA is on that week. Actually, they start at the end of that week, and uh, they're in Nashville. So there you got two organizations that are in two Opryland kind of properties, the Gaylord and the, the big Opryland in Nashville, and they're like the 20th and the 22nd. And now, Joe, to throw another thing in there to show, you know, the connection to IUT Radio and how it's so difficult to get to everything, but your guest last week, who uh, was the executive director of the Indoor Environmental Association, it's uh Brent that's got the connection back to the lead and asbestos the people, their convention starts right after at the same time as the NDA, which is the week of the twenty second and twenty third, and they're in uh they're in um in Atlanta. Yeah. So it seems to me that the whole idea of industry coming together to collaborate, co locate conventions, collaborate on the information that's disseminated in their trade journals is really, it's just, it's, it's, it, the time is now. It, it's, it's the benefit of not only the associations, the members, and many of them are crossover, but more importantly, all the attendees, all the people that we serve, the exhibitors, everyone wants to come to these things. You just can't go to everything all the time. And there's so much overlap because convention season, convention season, a lot of the same cities. And, uh, I don't know. I guess as a watchdog, I kind of keep paying attention. I look at these kinds of things, and uh, they kind of pop up. But I'm I'm going to try to make it to as many of them as I can, and uh, build bridges uh, between those organizations and RAA, and and through the academic connection, you know, through Purdue. The IQ Radio people supported the Purdue, and they had the big disaster conference last year. It was just fantastic that they went out there, spent an entire week, um, you know, and uh, did the wrap up interview with all the professors. And now, uh, you know, that's all coming to fruition with, uh, with the, you know, with, with this collaborative effort to help influence academia and the government on, on best practices from a practitioner's and the trade standpoint. It's catching on. And, uh, and um, there's follow-up conference to that Purdue conference from last May, and many of the long-term listeners here who listen to the shows, you know, know about that interview last May, the follow-up conference is in Korea next year. It's in the end of August. It's in Seoul, and uh, the University of Seoul, the Transport Engineering Department, and the, and the, the conference chair, uh, uh, Professor Dr. Lee, who I met uh, at Purdue, has uh, extended an invitation and would uh, would like me to help organize uh, through the local associations in Australia and the region uh, to to. Uh, the kind of duplicated build on on the industry panel that we did, which was very well received and, um, you know, it's global in nature. And I'm going to try to reach out to all my friends and the different organizations I have contacts all over the world to, uh, to help support this, to bring the wall down and to to unify the industry for the greater good, for the disaster victims and uh, all the customers that we serve, all the people who openly pay the bills, the government, the insurance companies, the property managers, everyone else. So, you know, anyway I uh I just wanna throw that out there and uh I always enjoy the, these shows. Don't call in all the time. I kinda of look in some shows have a higher interest than others. So last week with the AIA and of course this week when I say Donald and you're gonna be on there at the IAQ Esher stuff, I mean I just cleared my calendar to call in. So anyway.
0: We appreciate that. that.
1: Thank you.
0: Yes, sir, and and let me you know you led you led me into another question for Don um, with respect to conferences. Now that IAQA and uh, ASHRAE have uh, consolidated their programs, and and I know we we've, we've mentioned before that um, I guess this will be the last year for just a an IAQA and ACCA conference, and then will it be next year that IAQA will be a part of the big, you know, AHR conference with ASHRAE, Don?
4: Well, next year, yes. Uh, in Orlando, uh, the last week of January, the uh, IQA conference will be co-located at the uh, in Orlando at the same time as the ASHRAE conference, and uh, we, uh, meaning the the vendors for IQA, will be part of the uh, AHR uh, Expo. They will be given their own pavilion, an indoor air quality pavilion. So, that if you're looking for them, and I know it's a big, big show. You'll be able to find them, uh, very quickly because there'll be, uh, there'll be a separate area just for the IQA, uh, uh, exhibitors. Um uh, so I'm, I'm very, that, that was just decided this past week, so I'm, I'm excited to announce that today and, and, am very happy that that, that, that will be
0: taking place. More breaking news on IAQ Radio. Thank you for that, Don. And, um, last, I guess, I've got another quick one. Cliff gave me his, his, uh, time on the roundup here. What, um, what about, will we have a new executive director at IAQA, do you know, or um, how's the staff situation shaping up?
4: We will have a new executive director. Um, we are, uh, because of, we had to finalize the agreement between the two organizations, we haven't had a chance yet to begin searching for one, but the search will will be uh, started very shortly. Um, there's a small uh, subcommittee of the board of directors that will um Work with the uh, the uh, ashray staff to develop a, a job description, and then we'll be going out to uh, to look for a executive director. Perhaps uh, uh, you know through uh, various uh, organizations, maybe using a, a some kind of uh, um, uh, you know a, some kind of assistance with regards to a, a, a job hunter, somebody of that nature. But it's not been decided at this point as to how, but we intend to have somebody in place uh, no later than uh, July 1st, 2015.
0: Fantastic. And, and
4: I guess last
0: hey, question I, then. Yes, sir.
5: So, Pete. Uh, before he's kind of – I know you're getting ready to round it up, but I, I would be remiss. I, I actually, there's one more comment I need to make because I don't like to leave anybody out, particularly somebody not as major as I'm about to, to announce. And and you being on their board – and uh, being their uh, their government affairs uh, liaison too, you know. I mean, the IICRC and their uh, council associations, the IICRCA, they actually refer to it now. I think as a COA, which is a easier acronym, so it's not confusing. You know, um, they're they're doing uh, with the, the, the RIA is doing a co-located uh, launch, with their, their their very first show in May in the, in, the, in in the at the Rio in, in Las Vegas. And then uh, I know they they're reaching out in, in, the, in September to be back in Vegas with the ISSA group, uh, the whole JAMSAN group. And we're looking to work with them to, to collaborate, you know, on future stuff too. So the, vent, the vendors really love this. And um, it just creates a, a closer connection with between association activities, standard setting activities, certification activities. I mean, it just kind of makes sense to have, uh, you know, um, that to more building and working together than having a lot of direct uh, uh, competition and kind of beating each other up. Cause at the end of the day, we'll go after a lot of the same audience. It confuses them and it doesn't make sense. So the more clear that can be, the better it is for the profession and the better it is for the people who, uh, you know, want to use the professionals who belong to the associations in whatever capacity. So I, I,
0: thought I I thought I should mention that too. Anyway, I that's appreciate, appreciate that, Pete. I'll see you there. And, um, you know, I think it is an exciting time to be a part of this industry, and I, I know you're passionate about it. And this is something that you've promoted for years, and uh, you and Cliff both. And uh, it's it's really fascinating. It, it's it's exciting, like I say, to see this starting to come to fruition. I know. You know, Don has promoted it with IAQA and Ashray and Iziac and all the other organizations that you're involved with. Before we go, Lianchi, you you've been the focus here this week. I'm I'm so happy we finally got you on, and 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 we really enjoyed having you on. Um, before we go, is there anything that we missed that you'd like to add, or any final comments that you'd like to to um, let our listeners hear?
1: I think people should go out and volunteer. I know that you, you, you asked Don and I about that. I think that, uh, volunteering for your professional organization is, is the way to promote, uh, the next generation and, and to basically help shape the industry, right? I mean, that's, that's the best thing out there, I know. I mean, I should work more than volunteer, but, but that's, uh, that's really essential. Otherwise, you know, uh, the gray hair is gonna go away and nobody's gonna be working on these, these Getting together, getting people together, working on things that are of common interest.
0: Well, I think it's also been, uh, you know, I know it hurts the business, but there's other ways where it helps the business, too.
1: Oh, absolutely, and not just from a technical point of view. I mean, for example, I've been volunteering for ASHRAE for about 20 years, and, and being a whole bunch of engineers mostly, they have process, management process well in place, and, and I've learned a lot from that, you know, being a small business owner. I mean, where am I going to address a big crowd and things like that? So being a, a volunteer for ASHRAE has, has taught me all kinds of leadership and all kinds of management skills that I would not have had otherwise.
0: I can't think of a better way to end it. Uh, Thank you so much, Land Chief, for joining us, Dawn. um, Always a pleasure to have you here with us on IAQ Radio. We we look forward to having both of you back in the near future.
1: Thank you very much.
0: All right. And, uh, Cliff, the Z-Man, my thanks, as always, go out to you. I'm sure you've got a lot of writing to do here. The blog will go out Wednesday or Thursday, and um, we'll be back next Friday. I want to thank uh, my engineer for his last time in the seat here, Frank Amato. Great job. And of course, our growing group of little listeners, please come back next Friday at noon for our next episode of IAQ Radio.